following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. There's an old uh, old joke that uh, the question is, how do you move a piano in church? And the answer is one inch at a time. That way, when it ends up where you want it, nobody will notice. It's different. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't do it that way today. No. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. One song is way better than four. So we're getting there. Luke chapter 6, verses 16 through, uh, 17 through 26. And page 862 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. And we're going to be looking at, over the next few weeks, um, what I think we can all agree is Jesus' most famous sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of Olives. And today we're going to at least look at the first part of it. Um, Matthew also recorded this sermon in chapters 5 through 7 of his gospel, um, and uh, we read that together a little while ago. So before we read the text, I have two questions for you to consider, uh, and they, they may seem a little abstract, um, and I'll warn you, most likely, whatever your first easy guess uh, to the answer of this, these two questions is probably wrong. So just be prepared. The first question is, what is it that keeps people out of God's kingdom? What is it that keeps people out of God's kingdom? And the second question is, what is it that you personally hate the most? Now, if you're super spiritual, like me, and giving your best Sunday school answers, and you've gone through Jesus, Moses, and Jerusalem, and you've got down to what's the easy answer, um, you probably think the answer to both these questions is the same, and you're wrong on both counts, and you are probably a liar or just didn't think about it long enough. Um, so either way, we're going to get back to those questions if you are willing to stay now that I've called you a liar. Um, so let's read the text of Luke chapter 6, verse 17 and following. And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place and with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his, his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, 
for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we are grateful that you have called us together in this place, not just to gather together because we like each other, but to truly fellowship with one another, to learn from your word, to hear from your spirit, to express our praises and worship of you. We're not here because we're just a club. We're here because we are your disciples or want to be or are growing in that. So, Lord, we ask now that your spirit would speak, that you would speak directly to your people. I thank you for the privilege of being the cup. May you pour out your spirit through me on your people from your word. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as uh, as most of you that know me know, I'm I'm a little bit of a word nerd. Um, I like the to find the key words in a passage and um, and do the best I can to get at the real meaning of those words. Uh, and sometimes that means uh, kind of upending um, some well-established and widely accepted ideas about things. Um, one of my favorite examples, and I was just talking to somebody about this this week, is your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we, we take that to mean your, your body is where the Holy Spirit resides, and so you should take care of it. So go to the gym and eat your vegetables and, and all that sort of stuff. That's a very widely accepted interpretation of that text. But the problem is we speak English and not Greek, and the your in your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The your is plural and the body is singular. If it was if if the meaning was your physical body is the temple the Holy Spirit lives in, the your would be plural and the bodies would be plural. But it's not. It's singular, meaning your body, this body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's a different meaning and a different application and different understanding. So our text this morning is kind of like that. Um, I guess some of you weren't here for that sermon, um, but it was a while ago. But anyway, um, so can you guess, looking at our passage, what the two words are that are keys to understanding this passage? Okay. Okay, there's one. Blessed. Yep. And woe. Blessed and woe. Um, and I'll, I'll accept a third guess if you're willing, and it's not actually included in the text of Scripture, but it's in the heading, and that's beatitude. Beatitude. Um, again, that's very cute to say that this is about your beatitude. Well, it's not spelled the same way, and it's actually not an English word anyway, so that doesn't work. It's just cute. Um, Beatitude and blessing mean the same thing. Uh, beatitude is a Latin word that uh, that we get in the heading just from tradition. Um, 
But makarios is the Greek word. Um, and blessed is the spiritually acceptable word because it sounds more spiritual than what the word actually means. And the word actually just means happy. And I never liked that. And I remember uh, you can read translations of the Bible now that, that say happy are you who are poor now for, you know, yours is the kingdom of God. And I always thought well, that sounds very not okay. That sounds very surfacey. Um, but the truth of the matter is the Greek word means happy. Okay? So if you can, if you, you know, if people make comments about your personal circumstances when they're good and you say, I'm just so blessed, it sounds very spiritual. And you're right, you are. But you can say, I'm really happy, too. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a, it's a biblical word. Um, and, and just so that we have a better understanding, um, happy, in case you were wondering what that means, is just the enjoyment of favorable circumstances. And that's important for us to understand, uh, for us to understand Jesus' meaning in this passage. Um, so the, if blessed and beatitude is the first word mashed together, the second word is woe. It's important for us to understand that it's a little more than just trying to get your horse to stop. We've, we've used this word before, not that way, but, um, oh, woe is me. You know, you've, you've heard that expression before. Um, but what does Jesus really mean when he pronounces these four woes? Um, <laughs> well, the Greek, the Greek word is oi, which means a state of intense hardship or distress. And the words that stuck out to me the most um, were the words disaster and horror. He's not saying unhappy. You're happy if this, and you're unhappy if this. Nope. You're, you're happy if this, you are in trouble. This is, this is, in the words of one of our ski patrol uh, uh, instructors, Andre, this is really, really bad. <laughs> He's usually talking about uncontrolled bleeding and things like that, but it's really, really bad. So let me ask you, honestly, in thinking about, these uh, four contrasts, really, would you rather be poor, hungry, sad, and hated, or rich, full, happy, and well-respected? Hmm. <laughs> sounds like a trick question. Well, it really, it really isn't that tricky. Let's be honest. Which would you rather be? Rich and full and happy and well-respected. Okay, I'm the only one, you bunch of spiritual people. I feel like such a loser right now. All right? The people that Jesus was speaking to had a definition of blessedness already from Scripture. But it sounded a lot more like what Jesus was saying the woes about. So their understanding, I believe, was from Deuteronomy 28. And I'll read that to you quickly. It says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. It's a Hebrew word that means the same as the Greek. 
Okay. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb, in the fruit of your livestock, in the fruit of your ground, within the land the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall only go up and not down. Amen, right? Doesn't that sound great? Rich, full, happy, well-respected. Yeah, a lot of cows and a lot of grain and a lot of respect, a lot of stuff. Doesn't that sound like Jesus, what Jesus was saying? No, it doesn't. It sounds like the opposite of what Jesus was saying. But in truth... It is exactly what Jesus is saying. The only difference is the number one rule in real estate. Location, location, location. There's another key word that I didn't mention that is repeated several times in the second half of our text. And that word is now. It's stated explicitly in two of those woes and implied in the other two. Woe to you who are rich now, who are full now, who laugh now, who are well spoken of now. So those folks have applied the worldly definition of happiness and blessing and have enjoyed it in the presence in the present time at the expense of the future. That's Jesus implication here. Now, to to be clear. On the other side of the coin, we must not understand Jesus' pronouncement of blessing on poverty, hunger, sadness, and being hated as some kind of requirement uh, to enter God's eternal kingdom. As if to say, uh, if you've got no money, you're in automatically. If you've got no, uh, no food, no prospects of a decent meal, you're in, and that's all. Right. Um, You're afflicted. Nobody likes you. Welcome to the kingdom. Right. That's that's monasticism. Right. That's becoming a monk living in a in a some far remote place away from everybody. You give up all your stuff. You don't say anything to anybody. uh, And and it's that poverty and that hunger and that denial is is what earns you a place in God's kingdom. Well, that's heresy. That's, that's not the truth. Okay? So Jesus is not saying, if you're 
poor and hungry and hated and, uh, and all of this, you're automatically into the kingdom of God. So that's not, that's not it at all. Jesus pronounces blessing of happiness on spiritual poverty, spiritual hunger, spiritual sorrow, and hatred for his namesake. So the key to unlocking this passage to understand this is the kingdom of God, right? The, the kingdom of the earth, our, our culture demands wealth and satisfaction and respect now, right? Are you, are you tracking with me? I mean, everything about everything you hear and see out in the world is about those things. You deserve the best now, right? Bigger house, better car, whatever, now. The kingdom of God promises those things. Promises richness and fullness, prosperity, happiness in the future, in God's eternal kingdom. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes that I'll butcher and paraphrase was, it's, it's those who uh, think the least of the next world that are exactly uh, so ineffective in this one. Because we don't think about what's next. We think about what's now, right? We think about what we've got to do right now, what we need right now, at the expense of what's to come. The kingdom of God promises these things in the future, in God's eternal kingdom, and that's our hope. That's what hope means. We're looking forward in eager expectation to God's eternal kingdom. But if we find all our satisfaction in this world, in this life, can you imagine the kingdom of God, heaven, being a bummer? <laughs> right? I hate the picture that heaven is going to be, you get all of the things that you like the most. Oh, boy. Can't wait till you get that 88 Jeep Wrangler back with no rust. Ha <laughs> ha! If your picture of heaven, God's eternal kingdom, is a picture of anything other than being with Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. So we go back to, our, to one of our two questions in the beginning. What is it that keeps people out of God's kingdom. Now, uh, I know your answer. Your answer was sin, right? What is it that keeps people out of God's kingdom? No, okay. Well, that's what I was guessing you'd guess, so I'm wrong. Uh, okay, so I'm not going to ask you what, what it is that you answered. Uh, I've already made a fool of myself for assuming what I knew what it was. But there is an answer. There is a right answer. What is it that keeps people out of God's eternal kingdom? And the answer is pride. Pride is the sin that is pregnant with all the others. I deserve to be happy. I deserve 
the best. I deserve to not have problems. I, how I feel is the most important thing, and you have no right to make me do anything that will make me feel bad. How I feel is what defines my identity. And I deserve to live my best life now. Heard that before? Thought that before? Oh, the yep wasn't as quick that time. (laughs) That brings us to the answer to our second question. What is it that you hate the most? Don't say sin, you liar. <laughs> what we hate the most, I think, this is so not from Scripture, it's my personal opinion, and my, I believe I'm right. <laughs> and what matters is how I feel. <laughs> what we hate the most is the same for everybody, Christian or otherwise, and what we hate the most is to be told no. Or you're wrong. (laughs) That elbow in the ribs. (laughs) This goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were told they could eat from every single tree in the garden. The whole spectrum of fruit and vegetables. Everything. Except one. One. One, just one, just one. And in their pride, they ate from that tree. And mankind was cursed because of it. And we all share their same sin, pride. God told them no. They told him no. Now he's told everybody else no. Jesus is telling us here that taking pride in temporary riches, temporary satisfaction, temporary laughter, temporary respect, in the end results in the horror of eternal separation from God. Woe is a very neat word. Horror is messy, but horror is the truth. True happiness is found in denying ourselves, in humbly admitting our own spiritual poverty, our spiritual hunger for more of God, and sorrowing over our sin, and willingly being rejected by the world because we follow Jesus in this way. Because we follow a different way and we're willing to say no when people want to hear it the least. Because the hope of our reward is not in this life, but waits for us in heaven. The first 12 people that Christ commissioned with this message, one of them betrayed him, 10 of them were martyred in horrible, horrible ways, sawed in half and beheaded 
and stoned and burned and boiled alive in oil. Only one of them died of old age after being stoned and boiled in oil and exiled to live and rot on an island alone. Sounds like your best life now, doesn't it? Rich, full, prosperous. Why do we expect anything different? Why do I expect my life should be better? Well, because it's me, that's why. Is that not pride? It, it, that, that's the definition. I deserve better. I'm a disciple in 21st century, right? I mean, nobody's looking to behead me, especially if I never say anything to anybody about Jesus. Woe to you who are spoken well of now. Because that's what people did for the false prophets. They didn't say anything about the truth. They told people what they wanted to hear and everybody loved it. John Calvin wrote, happiness is confined to those only who under the discipline of the cross have learned to be humble. That's Jesus' message here. It's pride versus humility. The contrast of the Beatitudes and the woes is the contrast between humility and pride. Worldly wealth or heavenly riches. Jesus said in Revelation 22, you want to learn the answers to the text, go to the end of the book. Revelation 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life that they may enter the city by the gates. It's the same word. Blessed. Makari. Happy are those who wash their robes through faith in Christ, are washed by his blood. And they get the right to eat the tree of life. The opposite of that tree that Adam and Eve ate. They may enter the city, God's eternal kingdom, by the gates. You can't climb over the walls. You can't dig under the walls. There's only one way in through the gate, through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus is the only way to enter God's eternal kingdom. That's what's symbolized by the washing of those robes. There is no blessing, there is no eternal happiness without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And those of us that have faith in him must be willing to say to ourselves, now, say no, now to live lives that are radically different from the rest of the world, to live like Jesus lived, humble, gentle, lowly, to the praise of his glorious grace, looking forward to the reward in heaven, not just building up treasures for ourselves here on earth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in the midst of uh, this world, we can celebrate your goodness to us for how you provide for us in many different ways. Help us, Lord, to remember that that provision is from you. 
It's not because we deserve it or have earned it, but because you want to use us through it. Help us, Lord, to have perspective, proper perspective, on our lives here in this world. Not that we have to sell everything, but we have to count everything as lost compared to the riches of knowing you. Father, I pray if there's anyone that does not know you, that has not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, still um, under the condemnation of their sin, I pray that they would simply ask you for forgiveness, put their trust in you, that their sins might be washed away, that their robes might be washed, and they could enter your city by the gates, that together we could enjoy the real blessing of being together with you in your eternal kingdom forever. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.